So our conversation today is going to center on the debate between uh, government closures, forced government closures, required government closures of businesses, and our how it relates to our civil liberties. Um, and I'm guessing just some of this is going to be more opinion oriented on what we think the uh, the right move is, uh, and I'm sure that'll be a very be a very interesting conversation because there are enough examples right now of things that are going all kinds of crazy surrounding whether we open things or not. So, thank you, Michigan. Yeah, we're we're kind of striving for disagreement here because we we really were all pretty close to the same page last time. Uh, yeah. One of the things we want to get out there early uh, is that we we really do all, all of us understand what a big deal it is economically to individual level, family level, um, business level to, to be shut down and to be told you can't come in and your customers can't come into you. Uh, and we, we want to say that because it, it does seem like not everybody gets that. Uh, right. Th there's, there's a, it's at least how it sounds in some of the articles out there. It's like, you know, there's, there's these fatality statistics and this is very serious. And so we just have to do this. Well, um, you know, there've been a lot of plagues <laughs> and we're all still here. And uh, uh, there have been many worse than this. Economic activity is not just um, some kind of, conceptual thing like it's capitalism or it's commerce, you know, uh, something that happens in, in big companies, in big groups of people that can, that can get replaced or avoided for a while. Uh, economic activity, markets, uh, uh, buying and selling and interacting like that is human life. It's the creation of value and the consumption of value. Um, it's how we do almost everything, especially in this country. And it can't be wiped away. Um, we have our essential workers and uh, after a few months, everything starts looking essential as we're starting to see now. So that's some of the things we're gonna be talking about, but uh, uh, we don't want anybody to get the idea that somebody here just doesn't see that or doesn't care about that. Definitely. Yeah, thank you, Ethan, for hitting that right up front. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen um, if Brett will let me. Oh, yep, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and there was no password on this meeting, so who knows what we could see. Who <laughs> shows up? Sorry. <laughs> um, so, so I just kind of wanted to set this up for everybody to to help people realize like the complexity of decision making, and and what I you know I think that is important for us to acknowledge, acknowledge about this is not just the the economic issues that make this you know really impactful, but but the significant sense of uncertainty that uh, political leaders had as well, um, especially going into this, you know, six weeks ago um, and really trying to figure out what do we do? How do we plan, you know, how do we plan for this? And um, I think it's really important that no matter what kind of side of the political aisle you fall on, that uh, we all recognize that, that political leaders were faced with really, really tough choices. Um, and so we're going to highlight a little bit of the reason why. So you can see here, this is kind of a graphic for um, COVID-19 uh, transmission, as well as comparing it to SARS and seasonal influenza. Um, and uh, 
this is based on a study that actually, uh, um, where they evaluated people that were living in the same household as somebody else that had uh, SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, and then tracked them to see if they developed an infection or not. And they realized that um, many of them started shedding virus before they became symptomatic. So we don't exa exactly know when their infectious period is. Um, we know that it can be four to five days before the onset of symptoms. You can see they have three different scenarios here for when people are peak infectious. So it could be that people are peak infectious at the symptom onset. Um, it could be that it's significantly before um, symptom onset, and it could be, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, you know, during a short shorter interval. But we know that it seems like at least four to five days um, that people can be sharing the, or spreading the virus uh, before they've developed symptoms. On the right here, you can see why uh, SARS, you know, from 2003. And this is why SARS, it seems like, really died out, you know, fairly quickly was because uh, its peak infect infectious um, cycle was actually uh, significantly after symptoms developed. And so you could track, you know, do contract tra contact tracing um, and, and track people down that were infected and then have them isolate themselves or that were exposed, sorry, and have them isolate themselves. And if they didn't develop symptoms within, you know, uh, you know, a few days, then they, they, they wouldn't be sharing that virus until, you know, before then. And then seasonal influenza has about a one day um, interval between when people um, are infectious and when they become symptomatic. So, uh, so that's one of the things that, that makes this challenging. And then I wanted to show as well um, a different graphic, which shows the curve. And so you can see here, this is for Riverside County where I live and Brett lives. Um, you can see here that <clears throat> very early on, uh, you would really see no significant difference, you know, um, on the curve as far as how many infections there are and um, the doubling time, et cetera. Uh, and so, you know, people could take measures, um, you know, on this graph before the, the, uh, the, gra the lines diverge, and it would seem like there was a significant overreaction in what was done. Um, there's a number of different measures that can be taken, including, you know, stay-at-home uh, recommendations, covering the face, uh, you know, testing, um, and things like that, and including lockdown, which is going to kind of be our, our key thing. And so these are some of the challenges that specifically make um, COVID-19 difficult uh, and uh, in trying to avoid our, or trying to avoid um, overrunning our healthcare system. So uh, I will... Um, stop my screen share at this point and we can go back to the discussion. So I thought it'd be helpful to, for us to kind of, before we get into the meat of this, um, kind of talk about, you know, what are the, um, <clears throat> what is the role of government uh, in the different ideologies? So uh, I don't know who wants to go first. It's Peter's the contrarian and I have no idea. He's the wild card here. No idea what he's going to come up with. <laughs> I think I should go last so I can disagree with all three of you. <laughs> Of course, yeah. right? What is the contrarian? It's no, fun if I, no fun if I go first. <laughs> he, he's got to go first because we haven't heard from him yet this this <laughs> Exactly. Right. It's only fair. So, can you repeat the question? So, what is what is the role of government from you know whatever ideology you want to want to um, ascribe to at this point? <laughs> 
I think for me, the role of government is to take the least drastic measures possible to protect the most people. Um, and so what, to me, what that looks like, I, I am not a fan of lockdown, as I think I said last week. Uh, I think I'd be totally fine with the safer at home recommendation and then forcing people to wear masks if they're in businesses, you know, anywhere outside their home. Um, and so to me, it's quite scary to me that the government is saying, you know, you can't, you can't leave your house or you're going to get a ticket if you leave your house or you're, um, Sorry, so the, the question was really more, uh, like what in general, what is the role of government? I should have clarified that for you. <laughs> That's a... I, as, uh, I think the role of government to me is to make sure that its citizens have as many opportunities as possible without interfering in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, yeah. I, I, I really want to just start chanting one of us, one of us, you know, as <laughs> the more answer that you give Peter, but, uh, <laughs> I, I think I believe in more social programs than, than the two yeah, of that's, you do, that's but, but so yeah, um, I, I think that's where I would differ is I believe in more social programs. Other than that, I think the government should stay the hell out of our way. <laughs> All right, who's going next? I'll go. Um, you know, usually I lead with a pretty standard libertarian uh, uh, language the, it's the the elimination of force and fraud between between individuals and and organizations uh, uh, and another way of putting it is i think it's an adam smith quote uh, he, he said the all, all that is required to lift a nation from the lowest levels of barbarism to the highest levels of, of civilization is peace easy taxes and a tolerable administration of justice um, so that's another way of saying, yeah, if government steps in and does a few things, it tells us what the rules are. It makes sure that by and large, those rules get followed. That is the playing field that everybody's on. And then it gets out of the way. Humans, human society and social action and, and uh, uh, social evolution and, and individual you know, uh, interactions in a marketplace can do everything else pretty much that we see in front of us. And so there is an organization level though that I would add, and usually it's not part of the discussion much. Usually I'm arguing with somebody about what government should do, but there's an organization level. And I, I like to talk about traffic lights for it. But um, last time I brought up the idea of community property and talked about how you know a lot of our life is lived on property that we don't own. When you come to an intersection, there's a reason for a stoplight. And it's not just safety, even primarily. It's that that intersection is community property. And people are trying to use it for incompatible things. Some people are trying to go north, and some people are trying to go west. And they can't do it at once without killing each other. So the government steps in and does something that doesn't come from a moral place. It comes from a purely practical organizational place. And one of its goals is the efficient use of the space. Uh, another goal is the safe use of the space, but that's all under uh, the umbrella of a 
an equitable use of the space, right? Everybody gets their turn and it's the same for the rich guy as the poor guy and everything else, right? And I think that might come to the fore in our conversation is the, the organizational uh, aspects of government. And a, and a tinier part of that is that government sets defaults and then those defaults start to have moral significance. Um, the Uniform Commercial Code would be an example. Now, normally if I walk into a store and I buy something, what's implied, right? Um, if I get it home and it doesn't work, do I get to take it back and get my money back? Was there an, impl was there an implied uh, you know, claim that it works and that's why I'm selling it to you at full price? Or should I have tested it in the store or I just lost my money, caveat emptor? Well, a neither of those is morally right or morally wrong. What we need is an expectation. And then when one of us differs from the expectation, we all know what to, you know, what, what comes from it. So government steps in and goes, well, let's say it's the first one. Let's say people who sell things uh, should know that they're not broken. And we call it, you know, good faith and fair dealing. And then we have a basis from which to respond to things that, that are outside the norm because the norm's just defined a bit better. Um, bankruptcy is another one. You know, there's a lots of rules we could have about bankruptcy and do you get to keep a car or a house or whatever. Um, what's important is that a creditor knows what the rules are and therefore they know how badly people want to avoid bankruptcy and how much they're likely to get out if somebody declares bankruptcy. So they can set an interest rate, right? And then we can all do business and we're all happy and we all follow the rules. Even if some of us go bankrupt, the bank goes, eh, plan for it. Brett's got you covered. <laughs> Charging better mm -hmm. half percent. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, that, that's, I, I guess I guess that's it. Um, you got organization level. You got setting defaults, and you've got the elimination of force and fraud. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go next since um, since Brett is is along the libertarian uh, idea as well. So um, so liberal government uh, it seems has some you know. Many of the things that Ethan talked about that it, that it tries to accomplish, um, or liberals view the government should accomplish many of the things that, that Ethan talked about. Um, I think one of the things that's different is that uh, liberals are more comfortable with uh, regulation um, to achieve certain means, or sorry, certain ends. Um, whether that's environmental ends, whether that's equity ends. Um, and so uh, regulation of business, regulation of um, uh, you know people and probably in general um, is something that that I think liberals are much more comfortable with than say libertarians or uh, Republicans slash conservatives so um, you know I think there's obviously a wide spectrum and as far as what you know what different liberals and how they would feel about those things but that's probably one of the big differences so Brett, I guess you get to sum up your libertarian ideology and uh, and and Republican sure. <laughs> Republicanism as well. So I, I guess for me, yeah, it is it is important to note that you know I, I I think I talked about this a little bit last time. I was I was I called myself a Republican for most of my twenties at least. Um, I was a huge uh, George W. Bush fan up until um, the I understood the Patriot Act and the effect that it was having on society and you know the basically the erosion of our of our rights um, as a response to terrorist acts and things like that. Um, and as I began to understand, as I began to mature my understanding of, of what I saw as responsible political structure, 
Um, and then also as I began to understand that the Republican Party had had really changed quite a bit in the last you know two decades, uh, I, I I didn't really identify with with at least the the political actors in that party. And so I started to study libertarianism and, and just kind of try and be a little bit more thoughtful about my my political views, not just be reactive because you know I, I think that uh, as a as a Republican, I was just as emotionally driven by you know response responding to things as uh, I criticized my uh, my liberal friends for being. And so I, I tried to try to really understand who I was and, and what I truly believed. And I really kind of my the synthesis of my political understanding was that the government serves as stewards for community resources, um, and it it mimics a social or mimics a, a commercial structure where we have a, an organization that has a certain uh, certain level of, of resources, whether they're human resources or, or finances, and they require some sort of structure and leadership to, to um, best uh, exercise those resources. Um, and so for me, it was less of a, uh, less of a, this is what I want my government to do for me, and more just placing specific actions of the government up against, is this a, an appropriate use of our resources. And I began to see that a lot of the actions that our government was taking, whether they were Republican or, or Democrat, weren't, in my understanding, the best use of our, of our public resources. Uh, and it caused us to depend on those decisions at an increasing rate. Um, and so then I, I feel like that was souring me to the political, the, the two main political bodies even more. Uh, that and just the fact that we have the most ineffective yet powerful duopoly in the modern world in the Republican and Democratic parties. And so a little bit of that too was how do we, how do we change that? How do we get our party system uh, to accurately reflect the people? And there's really no way to do that outside of finding another group that, that, ref that you feel like your values are, are are reflected in and 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 then also really pushing for that group to not wear boots on their heads um like i i don't mind saying i'm a little ashamed but in the primary i voted for vermin supreme um for uh and if you don't know who that is google it um but uh um or google him but there needs to be a a responsible integration of libertarian thinking into our political conversation. And so I, it's kind of one of the things that attracted me to the orc, because that's the other thing is, is I, I think that the product of seeing how our Republican Party and our Democratic Party was for me to just say, I don't like parties, I want to be an independent. But mm -hmm. there's a, I think there's a specific level of responsibility that comes with identifying your political viewpoints. And I, I think that you have to you have to find the best closest thing and really push for that if if it doesn't go against your beliefs you know it's 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 why i i think it's important to call myself a seventh day adventist and we won't get into religion but because that most accurately um reflects my values even though it doesn't completely 
reflect my values. Um, but it does more than like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or, or Catholicism or Hinduism. So I, I, I feel like it's important to identify and, and to support a formal identity of some kind. And for me, the Libertarian Party was that formal identity. So. No, note to self, get into religion sometime. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a fun thing. I won't say I'm on that for one. That one. <laughs> I think the only time Chad has ever sworn at me is when we were debating religion. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not true, but... <laughs> uh, I've sworn at you many other times, but... Um, <clears throat> I've seen All right, so... so uh, I guess who wants to take uh, take the view on? I mean, Peter, you started started to talk. Well, I guess Brett may edit that out. <laughs> but um, uh, you started to talk about lockdown and kind of your views on um, on how a government should handle uh, you know the situation. Maybe you want to expand on that first. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think that the government needs to look at the ramifications outside of just the immediate issue. I think there's a higher cost than we're really realizing is like domestic violence has gone through the roof. You know, they're saying children that are being sexually assaulted once when they're at school is happening much more frequently now that they're stuck at home with the, with, you know, their, their abuser. Um, and so I think government needs to take everything into account as they're making these decisions. Um, I, again, I think my opinion on this is that lockdown is incredibly scary to me. That is a right that I don't think a government should take as lightly as it has. I mean, I, the first time that I really was able to witness that in the United States was uh, the Boston Marathon bombing. And I, like just seeing tanks on the streets and people like, cops saying you have to be in your house you can't leave your house that was really terrifying to me as as a civil right uh and so i i i think i have to come down pretty pretty strongly against the lockdown i think the government's place is to use science to protect to help people make informed decisions and protect people and i think it's pretty clear now that wearing masks um probably if you're in restaurants businesses reducing how many people are in there that's Every grocery store here is doing that here. Everybody's able to get food. Um, are, are, you know, in that regard, things seem to be working fairly smoothly. Um, so I think that would have been common sense and kept people safe without taking action that to me was quite scary. Okay. <clears throat> well, that surprises me. I thought based on last time we were gonna get a pro lockdown read from Peter. <laughs> He's a contrarian, Ethan. I told you. So, Ch Chad, do you have a pro lockdown read for us, or, or are we going to flop again on disagreeing? No, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to disagree. So, um, so, and part of it is, uh, you know, based on the situation um, that I think six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, uh, or almost eight weeks ago now, um, California locked down on March 19. Uh, and so the situation was very, very different than it is today. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we had a lot less knowledge. Um, we had a lot less personal protective equipment. Uh, we had a, um, and not to say that like any, either of those things are adequately addressed at this point. I mean, there's so much we still don't know about, about the physiology of, of, of COVID. 
there's there's still significant shortages of PPE. I was just talking to one friend that um, has a nurse, well, an acquaintance that I know as well, who's a nurse in New York City, and um, she's been wearing the same N95 mask for like weeks and weeks. Uh, and so, um, so you know, we were not, despite the significant lag time from when we found out about this as a significant issue till you know March 19 in California there really wasn't adequate preparation at a federal level to 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 have us ready um, for this to uh, to go across society and so um, Jared Kushner's on the case <laughs> Jared Kushner is on the case <laughs> I uh, yes um, so so I think that um, well, you're right, Peter, there, there are some definitely downsides to um, lockdown that you mentioned uh, as far as domestic violence and, and potentially um, not even just sexual abuse, but physical abuse in kids, which is definitely something I'm worried about because I'm a pediatrician. Um, I, I don't know that those things would have really changed significantly if uh, the government had only, say, recommended sheltering at home and not mandated sheltering at home in California. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, people might have had might have had somewhat, like let's take the optimal situation, which you could say might be the way that Sweden um, has approached this um, as far as the spread within Sweden. Um, you know, they, they uh, Sweden is a very different country from ours. And so they took the approach of not closing schools for the most part not locking down businesses, et cetera. Um, and, and they haven't seen things nearly as severely as Spain and, um, and Italy. Uh, however, if you compare them directly to their neighbors, which would be most um, uh, akin societally, um, Norway has fared dramatically better. Now this is short-term, obviously we don't really know the long-term at this point. Um, and so I'm not saying that for sure Sweden took a bad strategy, I'm just saying, I, I would be concerned that, um, first of all, that, it, that that may not be the optimal strategy if you directly compare them to Norway. But secondly, I don't think that we would have been nearly suc as successful in the US as Sweden was in altering behavior um, because I don't think people would have taken it seriously. And so if you look at, um, <clears throat> if you look at the difference between uh, New York and California, obviously New York was hit dramatically worse than California. Um, part of that is probably uh, because of uh, things that we don't understand yet, uh, factors that we just don't understand. Part of that is probably due to the, um, the significantly better uh, um, uh, public transportation mechanisms. Um, so the subway that <clears throat> many, many people use, whereas we don't have you know, very effective uh, um, public transportation across California. There's the BART in, in San Francisco area, but other than that, you know, the social, the public transportation is not near as, as um, widely utilized. Uh, <clears throat> so that's part of it. But then also New York shut down probably um, <clears throat> later in their growth in, uh, in um, numbers or in their curve than California did. California had a case much earlier but as far as the widespread uh, community spread, um, New York probably shut down significantly later. And, and if you look in that graph, you know, you have, and specifically with this infection, in order to see a change or an alteration in the curve, you have to actually make changes 
two to three weeks before then. And that's, I think, something that people don't understand is so, for instance, we're talking, this is off the subject, but we're talking about, you know, states are reopening at this point. They will not know how wise or successful they, they have uh, done that for two to three months. Because the index, like the, the people that first get infected in this um, series are probably the people that are at low risk for getting hospitalized, low risk for having severe disease. Um, and so they will get infected. And then two weeks later, they will have symptoms, potentially spread it, you know, they could spread it before obviously they have symptoms, but they could spread it for, for several days. Um, and then the people that are second or third in line from them from getting infected are probably the people that are gonna get hospitalized. So that could be, you know, two to uh, potentially um, two months down the line. Uh, and so anyway, some of those things I think uh, say to me that, that California, you know, in my view has handled this fairly well, has had mandatory shelter in place, you know, uh, rules. I'll admit that, you know, across California and <clears throat> other states, there's been incongruencies as far as what is essential, what is, what is deemed essential, what is not deemed essential. Um, and then there's probably things that at this point, I think we have reasonable, um, uh, an understanding at this point, better than we did say two months ago, as far as the risks. So in my view, like outdoor activities are probably low risk um, or significantly lower risk. And so, you know, many of the parks in our areas have been shut down. Um, I, I do realize the complexity of, you know, allowing a bunch of kids on the playground, uh, that that, you know, there is concern about that. Um, <clears throat> but open, wide open spaces, it seems like to me, you know, would be reasonable to open as far as outside. And I think in general, people have been pretty, uh, pretty conscious about, you know, avoiding others when they're in those kinds of spaces. So I guess that's my viewpoint on kind of lockdown. I think it has been fairly successful in California. Um, and fortunately, we are seeing kind of an easing of the, of the different measures. And again, I want to reiterate what Ethan said at the beginning, which is, you know, this doesn't mean that I, I don't recognize that this is a significant um, burden or and, and uh, really, um, uh, uh, you know, people have lost jobs, people have had their livelihoods kind of devastated from this. And so I don't want to diminish that by any means, but um, but I think that's one reason to push legislators, in my view. Uh, you know, Ethan, you made the comment last time that that we gave probably an eighth of what was needed um, to push legislators to uh, do better about supporting small businesses and families. UBI. <laughs> UBI is probably a discussion we'll have later, and I'm, I I think I might be on Ethan. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I I. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> if you don't like Andrew Yang, you don't like me. <laughs> so, Chad, there were a couple things you talked about, and and uh, <clears throat> that resonated with me. I, I think the first one was like preparation at a federal level, and I think that that's a little bit where um, it goes back to our conversation last week, where we have we've created an expectation for federal support in all aspects of life and i and i feel like this is and this is really a really crass way to say this and, and i've tried to think of a better way to phrase it but also i had a lot to eat for dinner so um i'm just i'm not as intelligent as i might be right now but it really is a teachable moment for us as society because 
we have developed we've developed this this um, need for federal involvement in areas that as that we should be holding our state leadership responsible or our local leadership responsible for um, the destruction of ventilators in the state of California, you know, because it was costing the state too much money to store the ventilators, and so we destroyed thousands of ventilators several years ago that we could have used during this crisis. That was a decision made at the state level. And then we immediately turn to the federal government and say, where are our ventilators? Why don't we have ventilators? We, we have, a, we have a, an addiction to federal support. And so I, I, I cringe whenever we, whenever we think that as states, we can thumb our nose at the federal government, which my state does with some frequency during this administration, sometimes for good reason, but then turn around and say, why aren't you taking care of us? And, and so I, that really is, is, it's not an argument for or against isolate or, or stay-at-home orders, but. Yeah, so I, I, I want to briefly respond to that because um, I agree with you that in, in some cases we have created, you know, dependency on the federal government for things that are inappropriate. Um, to me, the, the role of the federal government in this situation um, you know, obviously they were getting significantly better, well, one would hope, significantly better briefings much earlier on than the states would have gotten as far as, you know, the, the infectiousness of this situation, uh, of, the, of the virus, the, the rapid spread through Wuhan and that kind of thing. Um, and so would be able to, one would hope, alert the states to, uh, to plan for that. So that's, that's one thing. But the, the other thing is that, you know, in dealing with the pandemic, um, you would hope that the CDC would, um, would provide significant guidance uh, and, and as well as research. Um, and it seems like uh, that the CDC has been somewhat marginalized in this whole process. Um, and, uh, you know, even the, the recommendations that they were coming out with on reopening were basically sidelined. Um, and so, so uh, you know, setting expectations for, for how, you know, I think I like, <clears throat> like uh, all of you at points feel like uh, decisions are best made at the local level, but that's with um, a framework in place with which to approach those decisions. Um, and especially in something like this, I mean, you know, counties generally don't, um, have the tools to prepare for a pandemic as far as the understanding of that. They may be able to make decisions based at the local level based on guidance that they're given from above. Um, but I think there's just a lot of complexity that really did require federal coordination. And the other thing that is that um, because of the way that this has been approached, you have states bidding against each other for testing equipment, for PPE. I mean, you had the, you know, Republican states, or Republican governors, I should say, who were having their equipment that they'd purchased escorted from the airport by the national, like the local National Guard, so it wasn't seized by FEMA. Um, and, I mean, that, that speaks to, you know, kind of a, a, a dysfunctional relationship between states and, and the federal government. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, ju I just think that- You don't there say. Are <laughs> yeah, there, there, there are things that um, it would have been very helpful to have a national response. 
I also I, I also think like we are we're in sort of a weird system where we have like we are a group of states together and there is an organization on top of that and i like you know what we discussed last week brett i thought you made a lot of good points about how we need to have more trust at the local and regional levels of our government but all all four of us live in wealthy states west virginia is not going to do well if we're like it's up to the state you know Kentucky's not going to do well in the ways that California, Washington, and Colorado are. And so I think there is, we have said, we're going to be in a group of states that is going to watch each other militarily with, with FEMA, you know, with, with a number of resources. And so I think it's hard to say that we, like, I don't know where that line is, but we do rely on the federal government to watch out for all of us in, in one way or another. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. Um, I, I would say that as we look at, the, at supply, at, at, at what, what, what PPE do we have on hand right now, um, that, that you're right, West Virginia, Colorado, Washington, and West Virginia is different than Colorado, Washington, and, and California, but, but West Virginia's needs are also quite different as well. Um, and, and so, this kind of comes back to should the federal government tell us to stay home not stay home should should even the state government tell us we should stay home or not stay home that you have very different scenarios both with with supply and demand but then also uh going back to the stay-at-home orders i'll use michigan as an example what what is necessary for detroit is absurd for the upper peninsula and and Detroit's needs, as far as resources, are very different from a rural community in the Upper Peninsula. And and I, I I'm not saying especially this especially one with maybe no cases when this started, right? I'm sorry. Especially one with perhaps no cases when the lockdown came. Right. Right. We weeks behind weeks behind on that curve chart. And well. So I, real quick, I want to make a quick comment about that. Sorry, Brett, I did cut you off. Nope, you're good. I mean, I think. This is where, you know, in my view, the federal government could have responded, which I should have spoke about, but is the, the lack of testing. I mean, we had a significant amount of time to prepare for testing. And so uh, I don't think anybody trusted from, I guess I would say from a higher political level, say, say like the governor's office, anybody trusted the accurate, like that, the, that a county on the Upper Peninsula had no cases just because they were reporting no sure. cases. It, it, it was an um, assumption at the time. And, and, yeah. and I think that's- great to start with a snapshot of where are we. We had right. no snapshot. We had no idea where we were. Um, and even, you know, we're, we're significantly better than that now, I will say dramatically, just in, in, you know, the hospitals in our local area, there is a dramatically better capability for testing, um, which is critical as we kind of figure out um, you know, how to move forward in society. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that would, I agree with you that, yes, it, it doesn't make entirely sense to say, well, we're going to shut down all of California and keep it shut indefinitely. Um, but at the same time, when there's really no data to say, where are we at? I don't know that the, say, Governor Newsom had a different choice to make. Um, we knew, we knew that there was significant community spread in, in Santa Clara County. 
We knew there was significant community spread in um, in Riverside County, and and there was an LA County. Um, and, and so and at the time, New York was blowing up, mm -hmm. right? And right. that's important to remember. And so I think we 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 all might give different answers for was it okay when it happened, right? Versus what about today? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I've got some places to go with with the conversation. But um, Brett, did you have more? No, I I, I think that that was. Yeah, that was good. Okay. And Peter, did you need to jump in with something right there? I had a question that I don't know if now's the time to do it or after you, after you, if this would go in line with what you're saying. But one of the things I was thinking about with Brett's statements were, um, so at what level are we okay then defending sort of our border? So like Texas had National Guard at their border with Louisiana. Are we okay with that? I, I actually am. I'm okay with uh, the reservation in South Dakota saying we're going to, you like, we're setting up a checkpoint. You can't come in here. I don't know that I'd be okay with that with the county, though. I'm okay but, with the state saying that. So, yeah, let, let's definitely do leave that for a little later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, okay. Where were you going to go, Ethan? That, that, that's a new deal here entirely. Well, <laughs> there's a few things that, have, that, that come to my mind. And as a, it's a very libertarian thing to always go back to what, what you know, I guess the, the simplest term is natural rights. People usually know what I mean when I say natural rights. Um, I don't think that there are any rights that don't require justification, but, uh, you, you know, people, uh, people have a prima facie right to autonomy if they're not, if they're not uh, uh, violating the equal rights of others. And, we we all need to provide for our families and we need to be secure in our property. And if nobody's going to do that for us, we get to do it ourselves. Basic rights like that, right? And so when the question arises, is a lockdown, is a government mandated, federally mandated lockdown or a state mandated lockdown justified? Can government do this? Is it legitimate? Or do we need to go buy guns at the remaining open store and march to the Capitol. Um, I, I go, well, let's look at everybody's rights. Right. And I, so I ask a question like this. I, I say fatality rate matters. Um, last time I talked about how I think a lot of stuff comes down to our ability to impose risk unilaterally on others. And there's some number. When it's one in a million, I get to do it. And everybody says I get to do it. Some people are squeamish. And if we point out the numbers, they'll go, that, that will conflict with the other rule in their head, which says if it saves even one life, um, and they'll get very uncomfortable. But their actions scream, I get to do that. And they get to do it too. And at some point, that flips over. And it's too dangerous. And none of us get to do it. Um, so what's the fatality rate? Unfortunately, that has been, um, it was unknown initially, and then it was arguable for a long time. And the, the, the range is narrowing, but we certainly don't know what it is. And case fatality rate changes forever. Uh, uh, well, they both change forever because we get better at treating, right? And so it's, it's a moving target. Um, and it's based to some extent on what we know, and we can't always go back and fill in the data. Um, so, the reason I think fatality rate matters is because what we're dealing with here is negative externalities of actions. Um, and this, this is something we'll talk about, I talk about a lot when people say, well, how do libertarians do this or that? You know, what about pollution? 
Well, pollution from a factory is a negative externality and it needs to be assigned cost and, uh, and it needs to be accounted for somehow by, by whoever's doing it. It needs to not be done, it needs to be paid for something. In this case, the negative externality is that when I go about my life and run my business and try to provide for my family or pursue my own goals, I might infect somebody who dies or has a really lousy two weeks or whatever. So does that rise to criminal negligence or some kind of negligence and risk that we would in, in normal life go, Oh, you can't do, you can't drive drunk. Right. Well, um, here, here, a good example of this would be like, uh, if you had HIV, not informing some your sexual partner that you sure. have HIV. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of these come down on, um, on, on, on the scale and somewhere there's that switch that goes, you can do things to the left and not to the right. Um, so it's very hard to answer that question for, for COVID, but um, I wish we had a numerical framework from which we tried to answer those questions. And then COVID would have fallen somewhere on it, right? And we'd be like, oh, it's three times lower than our threshold for getting to endanger people. I guess we don't get to have a lockdown. Or no, see, it's four times the rate at which we say you can't drive drunk. So a lockdown might have much higher costs than laws against drunk driving, and that may play into it. But the risk <clears throat> is significant enough that government can leap in and go, whoa, we've got to control this. And, and we don't have those numbers because we don't think very, in a very disciplined fashion about, about this issue. Where would you prefer that to come from, Ethan? A federal or state level or, or county? I mean, where? Um, I mean, I think it percolates up from society. Uh, and I, so I'd rather see it come at, at the smallest level possible. The thing is, for different externalities, there are different borders, right? And the a pandemic doesn't have many borders. Yeah. So, so the state seems right at a minimum and maybe federal. But if it's something that's only going to affect people on my block, then my city should be yeah. the one, you know, saying what's acceptable. Um, <clears throat> so, so this is kind of like saying, you know, is this like saying, you know, you're in Britain in World War II and you're getting bombed every night and somebody wants to run their nightclub and leave the lights on and, and let the Nazis know where London is? Well, no. <laughs> you don't get to run the nightclub. I know you're trying to feed your family, right? But the answer is no. So is it that, or is it something way on the other end of the scale? And then, to me, that's the question. I, I'm not going to so much try to answer it, but that's the question. So, yeah. so I would, I, oh, go ahead. You're going to say Initially, something else. We had high uncertainty. We were afraid the entire nation was going to turn to New York or Italy. And we went, ah, everybody go home and shelter in place. And I didn't have a problem with that. And for two weeks, I don't even think the government needs to pop open the, the bank accounts, right? But we're at two months, or we're getting really close to two months. I think kids have been home for two months. Yeah, kids have been home for two months. I, I don't forget when that started. <laughs> and, you know, it's the, the music has stopped for so long that we have endangered a lot of it ever starting again. And that's a. a I mentioned, you know, if you have higher costs and you have to have higher, re, uh, better reasons. Or, and or the costs are climbing. They're climbing every week. 
and the reasons are actually getting a little lower because the uncertainty has dropped. We've got some options like masks that are being talked about as pretty darn effective at slowing transmission. And so I start to say, you know, the, the, the point wasn't to get rid of the curve. The point was to flatten it and not have medical emergencies. And we've done that. And we might make some mistakes when we get back out. And we might have some regional problems. And we're going to have to learn as we go. We might have a little Italy or a little New York somewhere. But it, we've got to get out there. And if, if we were going to tell people, you still can't provide for your families. You still can't do this. You still can't do that then government does have to crack open the purse. I mean, big time, trillions and trillions of dollars, because this starts to be a taking. I mean, just legally, I think it starts to be a, a taking by government, a taking of private value. And, uh, and that's okay in an emergency, right? And government can come commandeer my vehicle, but if they wreck it, they cut me a check. <laughs> and, and that's my analogy here. You know, when the, when the government says to the hairdresser, you can't go to work anymore, and it comes on a month or two, cut the check. And so then it becomes, where does the government possibly get the money to cut that check? Um, and that's, that's another topic. I won't try to segue into that. But does this give an idea of, of how I approach the problem? Yes. Yeah, sure. And I love this. Libertarians saying, cut the check. <laughs> <laughs> You can edit that out, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I, I, one of the things that I've seen from people that I've interacted with in this period who have, in the cut the check period, right, in these either loans to, to small businesses or grants to small businesses, there were so many, um, in some cases, there were so many hoops that that business had to jump through to qualify for that money. One of the one of the examples, and this is fairly recent, was um, there's this tea shop in Palm Springs that my wife really likes to go to, um, and it's it's adorable and it's run by this wonderful woman, and she's closed, and and she couldn't qualify for the money, the federal money, because she couldn't pay enough in salaries. Her overhead was not in salaries; it was like it's a small family-owned business, um, but so she didn't qualify because a specific percentage of the of uh, the money wasn't going to be spent on salaries but her overhead to operate a business in Palm Springs is still pretty high. Um, and, and she has, she knows that there's not going to be the snowbirds coming into town. And so, so there are also, I think the, the, there's the struggle of when that money, when that purse is open, is it open to everybody equally? Is it opened open with specific limitations that may still damage small businesses and allow large businesses to not feel it as much? Yeah, everybody got really judgmental as soon as anybody started taking money. Yeah. Um, and and <laughs> if somebody had told me, you know, if I were in charge of everything and somebody said, we've got to put the economy in a coma, can we do that? I would have said, yeah, okay, you want the economy in a coma for two months. In, in this hand, I need like a trillion dollars or two. I don't know. And in, in this hand, I need the biggest resuscitator ever. Like, you have to make the disease go away, right? And then, and then I can put it in a coma for two months and I can bring it back. And we have none of those. They gave us 350 billion that was gone in a week and hardly got to anybody because it wasn't enough. And the sophisticated companies that have accountants and lawyers jumped on it. And in this hand, 
we got we got homemade masks is what we got <laughs> there's nothing yeah. else we haven't made any other progress all of these trials they're they're not impressive and yeah so that i mean i will i will i will differ a little bit in the in in the in my view the testing is we are light years ahead of where we were true years. and i totally missed on that I mean, that's true yes. so, but, but that that stuff that lets us open uh right yeah not stay closed right right no 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 i agree i, I agree that that's stuff that allows us to open um it's critical for us reopening as we do and and i think you know i haven't actually looked at, at washington's kind of uh plan for reopening obviously brett and i have you know live in california and, and california does have a plan for reopening i'm sure a lot of people do think feel like it's uh it's too slow um but uh but at least we do have plans for reopening and that and that's what i think you know going back to the the federal response um and the federal government did give some guidance for reopening. Uh, what they didn't give is for considerations of what people should do if they do see start to see an outbreak um, in a particular area. They gave no guidance for that as far as considering closing. And, and you know, maybe at the time, <clears throat> I don't know that that was the right thing to do, but um, we'll probably have more information, you know, over the next couple of months as far as how to manage those kinds of situations. Um, so so. Are, are, we, are we in agreement that it was okay to lock things down initially for a couple weeks at least, and then now it's definitely time to start opening back up, but there's a, at least a few things that should still be locked down. Are we all okay with all of this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue against that a little bit, um, just because uh, I think that it was responsible for people to self-isolate for a couple of weeks. I, I don't disagree. I think as far as the statistics that we've seen, it's helped. Um, and I'm fortunate, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna use the term, uh, I'm privileged um, because I'm in a position where I'm not like Chad. When I earn my paycheck, I can earn it sitting at my desk with this little screen behind me so that my coworkers and customers can't see the mess behind me. Um, I don't have to put a mask on and go into uh, the hospital, or uh, and or maybe even more so, I'm privileged because um, my organization has valued my position, and it and it is seen it as crucial moving forward. So unlike hundreds of other people that I work with, I didn't lose my job during this period. I think what I come back to, and this is even to play off a little bit of the math that you were doing, or or talking about, we have known we have known so little about this brand new uh, pandemic. Uh, we, had, we had reports coming out of China. It looked pretty bad and we didn't trust the statistics um, because China lies about statistics. It hit, it hit our shores and it looked really bad, but we didn't know about the statistics because we didn't trust the statistics. And to be quite honest, the statistics, the numbers, have changed, have, 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 have been debatable for so long. One thing that I don't think we, we, we could debate was how, how devastating closing our economy for two weeks would be. So if I'm standing at the beginning of this and there are a lot of, there's a lot of information coming in, some of it that looks quite dark and quite, and, and, and quite troubling, but without any, I guess for me, any real concrete value, um, Whereas I know exactly what it would, you know, I, I live well, I'm blessed, 
I'm fortunate. If I lost my job during this, I would be devastated. I have way too many student loans to be able to make it two or three months without a paycheck. And, and so I, 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 I don't think that mandated closures were the right move. Um, it, it, it probably makes me out to be the bad guy in this conversation because I, I'm saying that uh, I, I don't know if the risk was worth the value in the long run. Well, so, so if we would have not shut down, so like I, I, my thought is if we shut down for those two weeks, gives us time to get data, stops or slows spread, allows us to avoid the medical emergency that we were discussing earlier, um, that keeps the closure shorter. Whereas if we'd stayed open and it spreads much more quickly, I feel like we may actually have a longer lockdown. Do you have any sense of that? Well, Chad, I think you were to say something, or unless you want me to respond to that. Well, I mean, I can respond to that in part. I, I do think that that's true. Um, this would go into the conspiracy theory realm. Like if, if, if uh, you know, a lot of people are saying this was just a, a ploy by liberals or whoever they, quotes they, to take away our constitutional rights. Well, if they did that, they planned it terribly. Like they gave us three months of, of lead time to figure things out. Granted, we didn't use that very well. Um, and then they uh, <clears throat> shut it down before it got too bad. Um, you know, whereas if, if somebody was planning this kind of thing, like they would have kept encouraging our um, official mouthpiece to say, no, it's not a big deal for as long as possible like literally until every country is over or every city, sorry, is overwhelmed. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if, if, uh, if we'd waited and to, to lock things down um, before it got, you know, in my view too late, we would have been locked down much, much longer. Um, so, so I, I think you're right, Peter. Um, and Brett, I wanted to go back. Because of fear, not just government action. Right, exactly. And I, and I yeah, do think no, that's unrelated yes. to whether the government was justified. I mean, that, that's a political theory question. And we're pretty quickly all coming back to, well, was it smart? And that's a separate question than whether, it, whether it's legitimate government to do this. Um, but, but certainly if we'd all turned into Italy and New York within a month, people would be home and they wouldn't be poking their nose out for six months because they'd be terrified. Um, right. In and I just to respond to that, like I, I completely, I, I, I respect, like I, I, we started out by saying, like I respect the figures that you shared with us this, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, and I understand, I, and I, I believe that we've flattened the curve, right? But I also believe that there are other curves that we aren't looking at that are going to be just as devastating. Then, if we were if we were given the information that was there, are we were encouraged to like? I'm not saying like two things can be true. It's better that I didn't go into the clinic every day and spread COVID around like Johnny Appleseed because I was popping into different clinical areas to make sure that everybody had what they needed. Um, that's true, and it's also true that the hairdresser around the corner has been destroyed by this and the only salvation is is a financial um burden that we can't afford as a state or even federally i 
we don't have that kind of money. So, so this is where, um, and I, I will admit, I don't have a, a, a great economic understanding. Um, uh, you know, can I, I, can I, I, can I jump in before you, because I think I know where you're going. Oh, Chad, sure, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> um, it's, it's also not true that money is less important than lives. And, and maybe this is how I should have started back when we opened up and we wanted to tell people we, we really cared about the economic side of this. Um, the reason, it sounds great to say that lives are more important than money. Here's the problem. People don't act that way with their own lives. And in a free country with free citizens, they tell you what their value is. You don't get to tell them. They tell you what their goals are. If something's more important than a certain amount of life risk, they tell you in their actions. And people risk their lives for convenience. They risk their lives out of laziness. They risk their lives for money. They take risky jobs and they risk their lives for adrenaline. Money is not necessarily less important than people's lives. And that's I, what I'm trying to say, Brett, is I agree with you that there are other curves we need to look at. Um, life isn't worth anything in the abstract, right? Our lives are worth things because they have meaning to us. And if you shut down major avenues of how humans pursue meaning, then you take away the value of life, which is somewhat akin to taking away years of life. I mean, you take away the, the, the point, the, the, the point of it for us. And so there is another curve out there and there, there are many curves that are mounting as, as long as we stay shut down and they have to do with normal human action and endeavors and meaning and, and the pursuit of meaning in life. And they're, yeah. and they're not less yeah. important um, than life itself, than biological life. That is a discussion that, that, that had so many things in it that, uh, that, I, I probably still need to unpack. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can just leave it there and go on with what you were going to say. When we wiki quote Ethan Pooley, uh, this is what we're going to do. But what I was going to say is, uh, is Brett, th th this is kind of the, the beauty of the federal government is they can print money. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I, I mean, that probably rankles. Oh, this is about to get good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but I mean, to me, you know, I, I fully agree. There's all kinds of quotes, curves or aspects of this that we need to need to be looking at, considering, taking into consideration. Um, but if you think about it from another standpoint, you know, that hairdresser, if um, if things had gotten so bad, if let's say the state did nothing, state did nothing, and, and in my view, um, you know, recommendations would not be near as uh as successful and we've seen this you know pragmatically in this conversation you had last week with the guy not wearing a mask because Riverside county still recommends a mask but yet i don't have to do it so um anyways and the state did nothing or just recommended you know staying at home um it is likely that that hairdresser would have would have shortly inhabited a world where nobody wanted to come anyways because we would have realized the risk of um, things. And this is, I think, something that we're, we're going to grapple with as this recovery happens, is that 
people's behaviors will have shifted so much that the world is going to be very, very uncertain as far as how do you value, um, you know, even something like oil that previously, you know, we have been able to predict people's consumption of. Um, and so, so while, uh, while the state may have, um, you know, impacted that hairdresser's work for two months, in a sense, they may have protected her from a much longer period of economic in productivity um, that would have been even more devastating in the long term because of the the uh, lives lost because of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point we're we're arguing hypotheticals, right? Or we're debating hypotheticals. It it could have mm -hmm. gone a different way, absolutely. Um, I do know that there in my community, just in the my little community Facebook group, there has been this massive. Um, you know, my cousin can cut your hair movement, where we just have, we have local barbers who are going house to house in people's garages and cutting their hair. The barber wears a face mask, the customer wears a face mask, and then they take it off when they trim around the ears. And so, so there have been some kind of practical uh, solutions uh, during this period, but also there are so many laws they're violating by doing that with by, by without a business license going into a private home yes. or, or whatever, you know, like there's. And, and I feel like to get back economically, one of the things that is called for is a temporary, if, if that's what all it can be, but a relaxation of a lot of those small occupational regulations and everything. Yeah. Because like we had to do with the, 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 the next door neighbor who lost her job doing customer service for a retailer that isn't coming back needs to be able to take a couple kids and do childcare for them from the neighborhood while their parents go back to work. Yeah. She can't, she can't just do that. Yeah. And, and, and so the, the normal way that a society responds and reacts to changes like this is taken away from them. Yeah. We, we, we micro optimized government, everything was going smooth. Everybody had their divisions of labor and government slowly micro-optimized everything for our safety and, and for lots of reasons. All of a sudden, those are a, a spider's web and, and we're all trapped in it. And we need to start cutting the cords if we're gonna be able to be as flexible in, in jump-starting this economy again. Yeah, I agree. I also wanna know, Brett, how many of your friends look like Al Davis's son with their hair cut by their cousin? <laughs> <laughs> they look better than I did when I cut my own hair the other day. So uh, <laughs> I got up hey. to about here and I thought, nope. And then I uh, this is the point where let's, you let's, a picture of Val Davis's son. <laughs> let's talk about printing money. I love that. And we haven't heard from Peter oh, for a while. Peter, should we print our way out of this? I or should I'm, I call you Andrew? <laughs> I I uh, am a big believer that our economic system is a joke. Wall Street is fake money anyway. The stock market is fake money. Print away. <laughs> <laughs> Told you that he's a contrarian. Brett. It's all, it's, it's all fake. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the news, but we've actually moved into projections of negative interest rates in the first quarter of 2021. 
which means that it will cost you money. I mean, and, and I'm speaking very generally here because we're not talking about millions and millions of dollars. I mean, I don't know, or maybe we are, uh, millions and millions of dollars that we're trying to uh, trying to to keep in a in a bank or, or in an investment account, but that it would literally cost you money to save your money. Um, and and that's the, that projection comes from the state our economy was in pre-COVID. And now the projected state our economy is going to be in as we move to, to approve increased levels of federal uh, printed money, the $3 trillion or whatever it is that's currently sitting in front of the house. I think the house already passed. Um, we, we need money. Uh, I, I get that sometimes the government's gonna to have to come step back in and give us some of our money back. Um, one of the things that I loved about uh, George Bush's, and this may be just an old wives tale, but the, uh, the bailout that we got in like 2008 or whatever it was, the check we got from Bush, he asked the IRS to print on the check, here's some of your money back, and the IRS wouldn't do it because they said that that was a political statement, which wasn't fair. Um, they'll, us, they'll mail us a letter from Donald Trump. <laughs> Which you know, the, the reality is it wasn't our money back because the federal government spends more than we give it. It has exactly. A yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's where it comes yeah. back to the stewardship principle that I talked about, where, where we're relying on our public servants to be stewards of our public resources. And they haven't been for decades. And so we don't have a, we don't have a strong financial foundation at a federal level to support increased ir uh, irresponsible behavior uh, when it comes to our when it comes to our money, uh, and and we think that it. I mean, it, one of the theories is that that it all doesn't matter. Like I had, a, I had a buddy in college who just said we want a high debt because we 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 will become irrelevant in the international landscape if we don't owe other countries money. And I think well, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Like uh, that's that's. Um, but we don't. It's not that we owe Chile money. It's that we owe. Peter money. We owe, you know, you have paid the federal government, well, you've paid the federal government X number of dollars. Have you seen that in, in uh, invested wisely in our infrastructure and in, in our future? And, and I, I would say no, it hasn't been. So we're asking, we're, we're relying again on the federal government to be responsible for something that they've proven they can't be responsible with. And so that's why I wouldn't print money. I'm, uh, I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place because to me, this is when a government should spend. And almost everything previous was when a government shouldn't spend, right? You shouldn't have gone to war in Iraq. In Iraq. And I didn't know that the first time because I was 12, but I knew that the second time. And apparently Congress didn't. <laughs> I, and if we should have gone to war in Afghanistan, we should have left in two years, win, lose, or draw. And if we should have bailed out anybody in 2008, we should have done less of it and sooner. And it shouldn't have included car companies and a lot of other things, right? There have to be teeth in capitalism or else you screw up all of the incentives of all of the players. Um, there has to be market pain in order for markets to have their corrective activities running. Um, and so, and then there shouldn't have been all of this low interest money coming along ever since. One of the reasons is it's unfair to all of us, right? I've got, I've got some money sitting around and I'd like to make money with it. And if Peter needs to borrow money, I can charge a good interest rate to loan money to Peter, but not if the Fed's undercutting me. 
and it's been undercutting everybody for ages and ages. And now here we are, and Brett said it perfectly. The problem now is we were already up against the wall when it started. And we were already at, what were, what were the interest rates? A half a percent or zero or something that had been bouncing around for eight years. And all of a sudden, we have nowhere to go but territory that's ridiculous. You know, it's absurd. Uh, that said, this is a World War II moment. This is a Louisiana Purchase moment. This is when that federal government is supposed to step up and convince a whole generation of people it's awesome because we really needed it and it came through. Um, mm -hmm. in, in my, in, you know, in, in my take, and uh, so I ask questions like, well, immediately speaking, what terrible things will happen if it prints a few trillion dollars? And you know, we've been pretty inflation has not come about. Um, and, and to me, the understanding of that is beyond all economics. I don't mean it's ridiculous. I mean, really being able to predict that, like, no, we're going to get the seventies if we do this or nah, we're cool. We can print another trillion dollars. That seems to be beyond all current economists. That, that is not knowledge that humans have access to in retrospect. We can't even agree on how we might've known. So we certainly can't do it going forward. So although I think the inflation risk is there, it's not one that's bit us recently and we've printed a lot of money or borrowed it. Um, another thing I ask is, is it just for the government to print money? And I think I'm unusual among libertarians, although I think it's horrible in a lot of ways for the, for the, the government to print money. Um, I think rather it should borrow it, it should sell bonds when it can't. But I can't say it's unjust because the government runs a currency and it hasn't made any guarantees as far as I know for how it's going to run that currency. And every time we choose to denominate a loan in dollars and agree to work for dollars and all of these things, we're betting on its management of that currency. And it may be a real bad decision for the government to, to play with, you know, some of the implicit, uh, promises uh, that, that we may feel exists about money. But it's not in a contract with us about what a dollar means. Um, and I think that we should understand that and place our bets accordingly. But then when it comes to something like this and the government goes, yeah, we're going to print $3 trillion, we don't get to throw up property rights and say, well, you can't do that because they're my dollars. It's their dollars. And if we want to transact in gold or yen or Bitcoin, we are actually free to do that. And there's some nuance there. The government really doesn't like other currencies used in America and it, and it has some roadblocks around it. But technically it's legal. Technically we can, we can even start our own currencies and we can use them. And we can have anti-inflation mechanisms and everything. So I can't actually say outright it's unjust. Um, and I can't quite say it's unwise because this is when we ought to do it. What I can say is what Brett said, we were already up against the wall for a lot of bad reasons. So, so I, I'm curious about, because you talk about justice and, and, and I was thinking of justice in a different sense. I, I agree with you. This is a, I mean, I think what we're facing right now is very much a World War II moment um, that this is going to drastically change society as we, you know, as we've conceived of it, you know, long-term. I mean, 
travel is unlikely to go back to what it was for a significant amount of time. And so that's going to affect, um, you know, states differently. Hawaii, 30% unemployment, you know, a few weeks ago. And I don't see that changing. You know, Hawaii is heavily tourism based and, and they have currently a 14 day mandatory uh, quarantine period. How, how are they going to, you know, they'll probably ease that over time. But I don't see pe the same numbers of people going to Hawaii from around the world that have in the past. Um, and so this is going to cause significant economic pain. And I don't think the federal government should ease all of the pain for tourism kind of, you know, uh, for decreases in tourism. But uh, it does seem like the federal government has to ease the economic pain, again, for uh, families, small businesses, even corporations. And, 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 um, and that would be justice, in my view, uh, to do that rightly, to do that well. Um, would be justice and, and to do it, not do it at all, or do it rather poorly would be unjust. Um, so I was kind of conceiving as justice or just justness in a different framework from what you Yeah, see, and, and I'm looking at, well, if I have a dollar and, and the federal government devalues it, is that just, or is it like they showed up and took some of my property? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, th I think the, the point you're making, Chad, is I think the question that should be asked, and I think, I think yours is a good philosophical question, Ethan, but I think a, a, tr a real question is about what are people's lives going to look going, like going forward is how are we spending that money? Because, you know, like 2008, I would say that was a pretty colossal waste of money. That went to too big to fail, you know, banks and automobile and things like that, that I don't, I don't think was an efficient use of money. But we need to have a lot of foresight. How are we, are we solving long-term problems in the ways that we're spending that money? Not just immediate problems, but are we, are we solving long-term problems? And like, I'm, one that I'm researching right now is like our food systems. We could actually really make our economy stronger and a lot have a reduced risk for something like this happening again if our food systems were a lot more localized. And food costs would probably go up, but there are people that can afford them in a lot of locales. And it would create more jobs if we have, you know, slaughterhouses in a lot of different places rather than Tyson running them all in Arkansas. Uh, and so I, to me, it's how are we going to spend it? I don't have a lot of faith in the current leadership uh, to, to really have or upcoming leadership. I, to be frank, I don't think Biden's going to be looking at problems and solving, solving them in a long-term way any more than Trump would. Um, and and, and it, that plays into do we give any money that there is, do we give it to individuals or businesses? And, and, and I think there needs, I think there needs short to be closer, on a short closure, you give it to businesses. Otherwise, yeah, you tidied the people along and you put groceries in their fridge for two months, but then they don't have a job to go back to. And when the pandemic's over, there's a, it's still a huge economic problem. So you keep their company alive and then they're, and then they can go back to a job and that's better. You get out two months and the company's going to die no matter what. You might as well give it to the individual because the company isn't going to be there. Well, and I think we should also, we, we could like kill two birds with one stone. If we're funding things like, let's say we bring back the CCC, the civilian conservation Corps, like we did after, you know, at, towards the end of the great depression. And we're like, Hey, we're going to fix our infrastructure. We've been talking about that for decades. Our infrastructure is falling apart. All these things. But what if we actually hired people to do that? I see. So you're saying don't, don't create the money out of thin air and give it to people to sit it home so to speak yeah but do what's necessary while we have to be home and then for the 20 percent of jobs that got destroyed 
hire him. Let's hire him. Accomplish something with him. Yeah, and let's let's solve problems because those are those are problems that are going to be long term issues if we don't take care of them now. And we have to have that foresight to say, hey, our infrastructure is crumbling. Let's solve that. Our yeah, food. We could work, work on pandemic infrastructure. Just exactly. <laughs> okay. How do we how do we wrap this up? What do we need to do to get to? So, yeah, yeah. So I I was thinking, you know, maybe we could, because. Uh, um, it did seem like there were some variances in, in the viewpoints um, as far as uh, lockdown. So if we maybe want to go around and give a summative statement kind of on, on their, each person's perspective on lockdown and, and how they see kind of going forward. Uh, I'll start. Um, so I, I think I made it pretty clear that, that I, I've not been a fan of forced lockdown really at any stage of this. Um, but I, I will kind of like I will stress that I believe that if you have the ability to earn a living and not be in the public space, it's your responsibility to do that, and it's your it's your employer's responsibility to make that available to you. Um, and then uh, I would just say, from a blanket federal or state level, um, whenever we voluntarily surrender some of our freedoms we sometimes don't get them back or a lot of the time we don't get them back. And so I, I, I past performance is, is typically indicative of future results. And so that's why I would say um, I'm, I'm not for any sort of, of forced closures. All right, I'll go next. Oh, go ahead, Ethan. You were going to go, you were going to go next. Sure. Um, so I do feel that initially, Governments were justified in saying, you know what, everybody get yourselves home. We don't know what's coming and we've got to do something to not be Italy, which is what was the context at the time. Um, I think that beyond two weeks, that justification dissipated and especially because we mismanaged in that in that two weeks and we've mismanaged ever since when we, we, we were not, we didn't spend it wisely. Um, kind of like how we're not going to spend the money wisely, Peter. <laughs> and, and you know we're not going to. I mean, we're talking about hypotheticals, but we're not going to spend it wisely. And so two weeks later, we had, we had little new knowledge. Might not have been our fault, but the lack of testing was still our fault. And the fact that half of the nation thought that, that you know, the quack cure that Trump started touting was, was the interesting thing. And people had started flowing to conspiracy theories because of bad leadership and everything else. All of those were our fault. And so the fact that we couldn't come back in two weeks, which would have been a mild economic, you know, impact. Um, we couldn't come back with a limited opening and I'll be wearing face masks and everything else was our fault. And, and when you, when you screw up um, one of those emergency situations, you have to start letting people start dealing with it on their own and making their own risk assessments. So I would have said yes to the first two weeks. And then I would have said, you got to have a strong, compelling state interest, industry by industry, town by town for doing this. And, and if we had forced that, it would have forced testing, right? Cities would have been running, would have been going to courts and saying, can we lock down? Do we have a compelling interest? And the courts would have gone, you've got no data. How's it how's how's compelling interest? And the cities would have gone, oh, we better get testing. We better get numbers. And um, and, and business people would have been saying, we better get alternatives. We better say, well, we're willing to have everybody wear a mask and so on and so forth. And that's the kind of negotiation that could have produced a better result faster. Um, 
anytime one person is allowed to completely squash the argument from the other side, you don't get negotiation, you don't get that good stuff. Now, I think we got to open up. The economics are just, they're getting crazy and they're only going to get worse. Um, agree with what Brett said about these other curves that are piling up on us. And we don't understand any of them, honestly, any better than we do COVID-19. Um, we've never seen these. I think you've probably already seen that unemployment chart. that's like this for 30 years and then ping, and it's just off the page. That's us. We're in terra incognita and people need the, the, the freedom to deal with life on their own terms at this point. And we had our shot and we let it slip by us as a government. Yeah, I, I highly second that. We, we, we uh, had our shot and, and we've, uh, at least at a federal level, I feel like we haven't, uh, we haven't used it very effectively. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I think I made it clear throughout the conversation. I, in general, have been in favor of the of the way that California has approached it, um, the uh, the statewide kind of shelter in place orders, um, and uh, really, it's been close to two weeks now that the governor has his plan for reopening out, um, and so I think definitely we're starting to see that. So uh, that would have been about six weeks of lockdown before kind of the opening plans, if I remember correctly, were started to be put in place. Um, and I think that was, in my view, fairly reasonable given the uncertainty. I will say that, um, you know, testing uh, was a limitation for many, many different reasons. Um, and so even, I mean, I know all of the hospitals in the local area were pursuing testing avenues and still are and aren't able to get it um, as quickly as they would like. So well, you know, the, the, um, that would have put, you know, more pressure if they had to justify you know, cities or counties had to justify this in front of a court. I don't know that would have actually added much efficacy because people are pursuing these as rapidly as we can. So anyways, yeah, I'm, I have been, been generally impressed with California's response. I'm probably somewhere between Chad and Ethan. I think I, I was definitely okay with two weeks. I probably would have been comfortable with up to four just because we were building data. You know, that, that wasn't something we had a lot of. Um, and also selfishly, I have a lot of family in the medical community. I want them to be safe. So uh, I think somewhere between the two to four weeks and also, again, hypothetically looking at how are we going to spend this money that we're going to print in a really reasonable manner to make sure the business is able, are able to go forward and that we solve long-term problems to keep our country in a solid financial state. 